This past July, Lisa and I went to see our son Jonathan in Virginia, uh, and he recommended a restaurant to us that he had been to before in downtown Norfolk. It's called Freemason Abbey. It is a church building that has been converted into a restaurant. I will say to you that I had mixed feelings about going to that restaurant. It just seemed odd to me, and I wasn't quite sure how I would handle it. And by the way, the name Freemason Abbey comes from the street that it's located on. It's located on Freemason Street. So it really is not about Freemasonry or anything like that, but it was a surreal experience for me to walk into that building that was once a church and then go sit down in what used to be the sanctuary to have dinner. Uh, Our table was actually about the place where the pulpit used to be. In my estimation, at least, we were sitting in the very back and you see that wall there, and there's a, another space behind that and another wall. And, and, and we were in the very back, kind of right in the middle of the, of the sanctuary or the building, in the middle of the restaurant. We were kind of, our table was right in the middle, really about where the pulpit probably one day stood. And I just kept looking around. It was just kind of messing with my mind to think about, this was a church. And so I had a hard time focusing on the conversation, really. Jonathan and Lisa were talking. I, I had a hard time focusing on the conversation. I kept looking around. Finally, I told Lisa, I said, I, I'm just going to walk around for a few minutes. And so while we were waiting for our food, I just walked around and looked. And um, I found some old pictures. And I stood there looking at the old pictures of the old church and the people that used to come to there to that church and worship there. And I just stood there for a few moments thinking about what it must have been like back in those days when they came to worship rather than come to eat. Then I found also a newspaper article that had been framed that kind of described the history of the church and the restaurant. In 1873, the church was built and dedicated as Second Presbyterian Church in downtown Norfolk. Second Pres, there in downtown Norfolk in 1873. As I understood that, I looked at the stained glass windows in the church and I thought about what it must have been like on those Sunday mornings as they sang hymns of praise to the Lord at Second Pres. I looked at the pulpit area where our table was and, and I imagined what it must have been like to have sermons going forth and preaching the gospel in that building. And then I looked around at everybody eating their dinner and it just seemed strange. I continued to read the article. I found out some more about the church and the building. And eventually that church building was sold to another denomination. It became another uh, church. And then years later it was sold again. And for nearly 40 years that building became the meeting place for the Independent Order of Odd Fellows. I'm not making that up. I don't know what the Independent Order of Odd Fellows is, but it sounds like a group I probably could join. <laughs> And Lisa said, Amen. In 1987, the Independent Order of Oddfellows shut down. And the restaurant took over in 1988 and began to redesign the building. As I thought about that evening, as I thought about standing in that once sacred space, I had two thoughts. The first was this, I realized in a fresh way that the church is not the building. You see, the building is still standing to this day, but the church is long gone. The church is not the building. I realized that again as I stood in that restaurant. 
Church is not the building. Second thing that I thought about was this. I remembered again the words of Jesus. And I want you to hear me say this. The words of Jesus in Matthew 16 are still true today. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Yes, some local churches close. Yes, some, uh, there's dying churches all across America. In fact, did you know, I just read it yesterday, that in America today, not just Baptists, but evangelical churches, there are five to 10,000 churches that close every year in America. Five to 10,000 every year. And yet, Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that is still true today because all across the world, the church is growing. And the church that Jesus started 2,000 years ago is still growing today. So yes, individual pockets of churches close their doors, but the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is strong and it will continue to grow until He comes back to claim His bride. But it was strange. It was strange to look at that restaurant. It was strange to stand in that sacred space, that once sacred space, and think about what had been. Today I'm beginning a new series called Rethinking Church. And you may be thinking, okay, what new thing is the preacher getting ready to promote? I'm not. That's not what this series is about. I'm not against new things, but that's not what this series is about. I like what Brother Vance Habner said. Vance Habner was a country preacher and evangelist in North Carolina. He had a way of saying things. And Vance Habner said this one time, and I quote, he says, We don't need anything new. We need something that is so old that it would look new if anybody ever did it. I agree with him. And so in this series, we're going to go back and look at something old. In this series, we're going to go back to the original and remember who we are as a church and why we are here. So open your Bibles today into the New Testament. Find the book of Acts. I'll give you the chapter in a moment, but just open your Bible and find the book of Acts. I want you to have that open there or turn it on if if you have an electronic copy. Uh, The book of Acts. When you literally open your Bible to the book of Acts, Here's what you're doing. You are literally going back to the start. You're seeing the way it was in the very beginning of Christianity. You literally, as you open the pages of Acts, you're going back to the start of Christianity and to the start of the church. You're seeing the way it was. You see, Acts is like part two of the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote his Gospel to tell the story of Jesus. That's part one. And the book of Acts was written to tell part two. That is, it continues the story of Jesus, but now it's telling the story of Jesus and what He did through His people, the church. So in the Gospels, we see the story of Jesus, what He did here on the earth. That's part one. In the, in the book of Acts, we see the story of Jesus and what He did through His people, the church. That's part two. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan said, Acts chapter 2, which is our text today, he said perhaps there's no chapter in the New Testament that has been read more often than this chapter. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you'll find it. Acts chapter 2. One of those key chapters that every believer needs to know. One of those key chapters that describes the power by which the church should carry out her ministry. 
Acts chapter 2, as we walk through this strategic chapter, we're actually going to take about four weeks in this one chapter. So you might want to be reading this in your quiet time and read it over and over and over. Every day, perhaps, make that part of your quiet time to read Acts chapter 2 and try to absorb the message of what it was like in the first church as we rethink church. Now here's what I want to do today. I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's Word as we read Acts chapter 2. The first 13 verses, if you're taking notes, Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 13, just stand to show honor and respect to the Word of God. Chapter 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Let me stop there for just a moment. I know you're standing, but let me real quickly tell you about the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was one of three Jewish feasts. If you lived within 20 miles of Jerusalem, you were expected as a Jewish male to attend at least one of those three feasts every year. Ideally, you should attend all three of those Jewish feasts. And Pentecost occurred 50 days after Passover. In fact, the word Pentecost means 50 So Jesus, get this, Jesus was uh, crucified at Passover. And then 50 days later, there was another Jewish feast, Pentecost. And the people from all over the world came back to Jerusalem for this special Jewish feast. And it was at that special Jewish feast that this divine event occurred. So let's see what happened. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard uh, them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues three times in this one text. It explains what this speaking in tongues is. It is not a gibberish language. It is not a private prayer language. But in this context, speaking in tongues is we hear them speaking in our heart language. We hear them speaking in language that we understand. In other words, the Spirit of God enabled those who were speaking to speak in languages they had never studied. Oh, how I wish I could do that. I would love to speak Spanish. I really would. I would love to speak Spanish. I would love to be able to communicate with my friends, but, but I'm, just, I'm just no good at it. But these, these folks that were filled with the Spirit of God were enabled by the Spirit of God to speak in languages that they did not study. And here's the reason. So that the Gospel could go forth. So that the Gospel could spread across the world. So that's what's happening. Verse 11. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues or in our own language. 
Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? We're going to answer that question later in the series. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. They've just been drinking too much. That's why they're speaking the way they are. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, in these next few moments, open the Word, open our minds, open our heart to what you want to say. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Would you be seated? I've got one point that I want you to make, you want to understand today. I had just one point in the first service too, but it's just way too much stuff to go with it, okay? But I've just got one point that I want to share with you today. One thing I want you to remember, one thing I want you to try to live out. And here's the one point, we'll put it on the screen. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be the church. We're going to look at that again and again. In fact, we're just going to leave that statement on the screen throughout the message. I want you to understand the role of the Holy Spirit. As we go back to the original church, as we turn back to what was it like in the first days of the church, here's what you need to understand about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be the church. Now notice that Acts chapter 2 talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit or the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the people of God. And that event was marked by two signs. There was an audible sign and there was a visible sign. The audible sign was this. It says in verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. If you're reading NIV, it came from where? Look at the text. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. In other words, when they saw, or I'm sorry, when they heard this wind, it was so powerful and they sensed, this is God. This is God working. This is wind from heaven. This breath, this wind was a symbol of the Spirit of God. So they, they heard something. But then they saw something. What did they see? Verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now fire in the Bible is most often a symbol of God's presence. And what they saw was this fire, this symbol of God's presence, coming to rest on the top of each person's head. Now, how that happened, I do not know. I can't explain that to you. But, but this is what they saw. They heard the wind blowing. This is God. God is working. God is about to get our attention. God's about to do something. Then, after God had their attention with the sound, they saw the fire that represented the presence of God. And here's the key part. It was resting not just on one or two, not just on Peter. It was resting on each one of them. And that's significant. Now, I want you to look at the text with me. Verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. It is repeated throughout this text that the Spirit of God was given to the whole group. Now the question is, who is the whole group? It says it came on each one of them. Well, who's the each one of them? Well, there's two possibilities. I'm going to let you decide which it is. It may be that it was referring to the twelve apostles. That the Spirit of God came on each one of the twelve apostles. Not just on Peter, but on each one of the twelve apostles. That's a very likely scenario. The other possibility is that there were 120 people there. And it may be that the Spirit of God came on all 120 of them. 
Which one is it, Pastor? I'm going to let you decide. But you can read the text and, and see what you think is right. But here's what I want you to notice. Chapter 2, verse, let's read verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Just phrases. In verse 1, it says that they were all together in one place. In verse 2, it says the wind filled the whole house. In verse 3, it says that fire came to rest on each one of them. And in verse 4, then it says, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that significant? In the days of the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was at work as well. But in the days of the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon an individual, an individual temporarily. For example, the Holy Spirit would rest upon uh, like Moses or Joshua. And it was primarily to accomplish a task. The Spirit of God would come and empower them to accomplish that task. Then the Spirit of God would lead them. So He came on an individual temporarily. But at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of God came to rest on all of them. And here's the two key things you need to understand. Here's how He did it. The Bible says He came to live within them not just beyond them. And the Bible shows us that the Spirit of God was permanent, not just temporary. Now, why does all of that matter? Because God at Pentecost, that Jewish feast, when the Spirit of God came to live within the people of God, God was creating something that had never been created before the church, the people of God. This is the beginning of the first New Testament church. This is the moment when the Holy Spirit of God came to indwell and empower the people of God. This is the moment when the church was born. And now, from this day forward, you read the book of Acts, and ordinary people were were able to do extraordinary things because the Spirit of God was at work in their lives. I mean, that's why Acts makes sense. The rest of the book of Acts. There's ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And how do you explain that? You explain it because of what happened in Acts chapter 2. You see, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not a luxury. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is an absolute necessity to the work of the church. Now, I'm debating whether or not to get into all this because I don't want to take too much time, but I know somebody's going to have this question, so I'm trying to be as clear as I can in a short amount of time. So buckle your seatbelt and let me talk to you for a moment about the difference between being baptized in the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. Now, listen, 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 listen. We Baptists sometimes get nervous talking about these things. We don't care to talk about God the Father. We're very comfortable with that. We don't care to talk about Jesus. In fact, we like talking about Jesus. But it's the Holy Spirit that just kind of makes us a little uncomfortable. Especially when you're talking about something like the baptism of the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit. That just doesn't sound... Well, it just doesn't sound very Baptist. But it does sound very biblical. In fact, take your Bibles real quickly. Go to Acts chapter 1 verse 5. Acts chapter 1, verse 5. Tell me, read that verse. We're just going to have a little Bible study real quickly. Read that verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 5, and tell me what phrase do you find there? Jesus is speaking, and he talks about something in that in that verse. What does he talk about there? Being baptized in the Spirit. He said, Now in a few days, in a few days, you're going to be baptized 
in the Holy Spirit. Question, if Jesus talks about it, should we be nervous about it? No. He said to, at least to the disciples, maybe to all the 120, He said, in a few days, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was talking about Pentecost. He was saying, in a few days, you don't know this, but I know this, in a few days, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's talking about what was going to happen at Pentecost. Now, what does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? The baptism of the Spirit of God is simply this. It is the act of God by which we become part of the family of God. It is the act of God by which we become part of the family of God. Whenever you accept Christ as Savior, the Bible describes that as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live within you permanently. When I was about 20 years old, I took a group of a small group, about three or four teenagers visiting uh, in a neighborhood there near our little white church in, in Johnson City. And, and I had a guy ask me, he said, he came to the door and we were inviting him to that little white church up on the hill. And he said, well, let me ask you a question. Kind of, he sounded kind of angry. He said, let me ask you a question. You ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit? I said, yes, sir, I have. And his eyes got really big. Oh, really? He got interested. He said, oh, really? You've been baptized in the Holy Spirit? I said, yes, sir, I have. The day I got saved, the Holy Spirit of God came to live in me. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. He didn't like that answer. Because you know what he was thinking about baptism of the Holy Spirit? He was thinking of some kind of special blessing or second blessing, second baptism. There's all kinds of phrases people use. I believe the Bible is very clear that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a second blessing. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is when the Spirit of God comes to live within me the day that I trust Christ to be my Lord and Savior. I am placed in the body of Christ because the Spirit of God comes to live inside me. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So every Christian has been baptized in the Holy Spirit if you're truly a child of God. The Holy Spirit of God has come to live inside you. Alright, now let's talk real quickly, flip the switch, and talk real quickly about being filled with the Spirit because that is so important to the life of the church. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Being filled with the Spirit happens every time we open ourselves up to allow the Spirit of God to control us more, to fill us with His power. In other words, being filled with the Spirit is God, it's a, a continual thing that God does day after day as we allow Him to have control of our lives. Uh, Warren Wiersbe said it better than I ever could. He said, and I quote, The baptism of the Spirit means that I belong to His body. The fullness of the Spirit means that my body belongs to Him. The baptism is final. It's a one-time event. The fullness of the Spirit is repeated as we trust God for new power to witness. That's why when you read through the book of Acts, you will repeatedly see, listen to this, this is so important. When you read through the book of Acts, you will, you, you will repeatedly see the phrase, filled with the Spirit. In other words, it just simply means a new anointing, a fresh power, fresh surrender. You have surrendered your life again and the Spirit of God is, is, is using you and working in you. Or to say it this way, when you're filled with the Spirit, your spirit is totally under the control of the Holy Spirit. And ladies and gentlemen, when your spirit is completely under the control of the Holy Spirit, then your words can become His words. Now, 
The reason that's important is because I want you to see something as you read through the book of Acts. Whenever you see the idea of being filled with the Spirit, almost always, maybe always, I haven't checked it out, but almost always in the book of Acts, you see the, the concept of being filled with the Spirit. It is always attached to someone speaking the words of God. Don't miss that. Being filled with the Spirit is always, in the book of Acts at least, attached to speaking the words of God. Let me show you this in Scripture. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. All of them were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. See, that's what it means to be filled. The Spirit of God enables you. Look in chapter 4, verse 8. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Peter is going to speak to the Sanhedrin. And the Bible emphasizes he was filled with the Spirit of God again. A fresh filling of the Spirit of God. And because of that, that anointing from the Spirit of God, it enabled him to speak to the Sanhedrin. Look in chapter 4, verse 31. Uh, the church had been threatened by the Sanhedrin and, and they decided to have a prayer meeting. And it says in verse 31, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all, watch this, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. You see the connection? It's always like that. Filled with the Spirit of God, speaking the Word of God. Filled with the Spirit of God so you can speak the Word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, the church in America today often appears to be ineffective and we often appear to be very weak because so often I'm afraid what we're attempting to do is mere human effort rather than being filled by the Spirit of God to do the work of God. That would have been a good place to put an amen. Let me try it again. Let me rephrase it this way. If you are not filled with the Spirit of God, and again, what I mean by that is your your heart is yielded to the Lord. You're asking God who lives in you to have control of your life. You're giving God permission. Fill me, use me, just have complete control of my spirit. May the Holy Spirit have complete control of of my spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, you can do the work of God and speak the words of God. But... If you're not filled with the Spirit of God, listen, if you're not filled with the Spirit of God, then what you do is mere human activity. You know why the church is so anemic? You know why five to 10,000 churches are dying and closing every year? Because so many churches are trying to do the work of God without the Spirit of God. And when you're doing the work of God without the Spirit of God, it is mere human activity. Programs won't change lives. The Spirit of God changes lives. The Gospel changes lives. The Word of God changes lives. Programs are important, but without the Spirit of God, it is mere human activity. That's why when you read in the Scripture again and again and again, 
they experienced, they, they, they were filled with the Spirit, fresh and anew. In fact, let me show you something. Uh, let me show you why you don't need to be afraid of this. Luke chapter 24. Go to Luke chapter 24. I want you to see how the Gospel of Luke ends. Luke chapter 24. <clears throat> Jesus is speaking and He's giving the Great Commission right before he, he has ascended back to heaven. And we're picking it up in the middle of the story, but chapter 24, verse 48. Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things. And I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. You're witnesses of these things, and I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city, stay in Jerusalem, until you have been clothed with power from on high. That's, that's a good description of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Simply being clothed with power from on high. Power that you don't have. Power that is beyond your human ability. And if you try in good faith and good effort to do everything that you do in the church, you can teach the Sunday school class or BSF class, you can sing, uh, you, you can do missions, uh, you can serve in a hundred different ways, but unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, it is mere human activity. Because the Holy Spirit empowers us to be the church. In 1892, John Hyde boarded a ship in England heading to India as a missionary. As he boarded the ship, someone handed him a telegram from a friend and he opened the telegram once he got on board the ship. He, and the words on the telegram were these, John Hyde, are you filled with the Spirit of God? The note actually made him angry. He crumpled the paper up, he put it in his pocket and he went to his cabin and that night he went to bed but he couldn't sleep he kept hearing that echoing in his mind he tossed and turned all night finally in the early morning hours he finally got up out of bed he went to his pants and he reached down into the pants pocket he got out that crumpled telegram and he opened it and he read it again John Hyde are you filled with the spirit of God and he said out loud in his room that night as he looked at that, he said, the audacity of somebody to ask me that question. Am I filled with the Spirit of God? He said, here I am, a missionary. I, I'm dedicated. I, I'm leaving my home. I'm going to another country to tell people about Jesus. How can he dare ask me if I'm filled with the Spirit of God? And he said, and it was at that moment, he experienced the conviction of God. And he fell to his knees before his Heavenly Father. And he cried out these words, Oh God, the audacity of me to think that I could pray or preach or witness or live or serve or do anything in my own strength or my own power. Fill me with your strength. Fill me with your power. John Hyde, once he got to India, continually prayed that prayer. And in fact, his nickname became Praying Hyde. Praying Hyde, because every day he was asking the Lord to fill him again with fresh strength, fresh power, so it would not be mere human activity. You see, I'm here today to tell you as your pastor, we need to rethink 
church. And we need to recognize that too often it's just simply what we can do rather than what God can do. We need to recognize that the Holy Spirit empowers us to be the church. Church is not a location. Church is not a building. Church is the people of God doing the work of God by the Spirit of God who lives within them. The audacity of us to think that we could ever do the work of God without the Spirit of God. The audacity of us to think that we could ever teach the Word of God without the Spirit of God. The audacity of us to think that we could ever share the Gospel of God without the Spirit of God. That's why when you read throughout the book of Acts, you'll see the church in action and you will always see the church dependent on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was their source of guidance. For example, in Acts chapter 8, it was the Spirit of God that spoke to Philip and said, go down to that road and speak to the Ethiopian. It was the Spirit of God guiding him to do that. Or in Acts chapter 6, they were choosing some leaders called deacons. The first deacons that they chose. And here's the qualification. It says in Acts chapter 6, choose seven men who are known to be filled with the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? Choose seven deacons, seven men who are known to be filled with the Spirit and with wisdom. Or in Acts chapter 4, the Spirit of God gave Peter fresh courage to stand before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court. And the Bible says he was filled with the Spirit and he spoke boldly. Or in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus, when he gave the Great Commission, and he gave that staggering task to all of us who are believers. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, the ends of the earth. The audacity of us to think we could do anything for God apart from the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be the church. So I got a question for you in closing. Not one I've asked very often. But it's time to ask you this question. Sir, are you filled with the Spirit of God? Ma'am, are you filled with the Spirit of God? I'm not talking about tongues. I'm not talking about some kind of ecstatic second blessing. I'm talking about is your life surrendered to the Spirit of God so that He can fill you with His strength, so that He can fill you with His power, so that you can do His work for His glory. Filling of the Spirit of God is something you can ask for every day. Baptized by the Spirit of God. That's a one-time event. I become part of God's forever family. But filled with the Spirit of God is when I yield my life to Him every day. God, again today, please fill me with Your strength. Fill me with Your power. Fill me with Your Spirit. Take control. And use me for Your glory. Would you pray with me?
every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to invite you to pray that prayer. God, please fill me with your strength. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your spirit. And take control. You can pray that prayer right where you are. You can pray that prayer here at the altar. Maybe it's a prayer of just total surrender. Just praying that prayer to the Lord. God, fill me with your strength. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your spirit. I don't want my work to be mere human activity. I want to depend on you to work in my life and to work through my life for your glory. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the church. That's the church. It's not just a group of people. The church is the people of God. Father, in the name of Jesus and for His glory, do with us as You will. Fill us with Your presence and with Your power. May the Spirit of God have freedom in each of our lives so that You can direct us and guide us and use us. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.